0: And we are live for the First Strike Podcast, brought to you by the good folks of FaceFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles. This week, 10% off all gaming supplies, as well as up to 25% select sealed product. So go to FaceFaceGames.com, check out if you want any of the stuff. And, and again, I always say it's the perfect time uh, to get a bunch of sleeves and, and deck boxes. Uh, today, lots of good guests. We're, we're featuring, I'm calling this like Mono... Alberta Power, uh, because we're featuring not only the most recent FF Edmonton champion, Zach Turchansky, who who's, I'm really glad that's joining us, but we're also hopefully going to get Brett Steele in the mix. But first, Zach, congratulations on winning Edmonton and, and welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Keoichi. It's good to be here.
0: Um, first of all, I, I got to start with this with uh, the BOSU thing because Bosu tells me like this guy's his boy, this guy's his boy. And then I had I had Kyle Gellert on. The problem is the interview that I did with him, it was kind of awkward because it was an audio weird setup where he was hearing himself in his own mic and distracted him. So so the podcast uh. was really awkward. But Kyle was someone that Bosud mentioned was his boy for a while. But Kyle, but Kyle, on the interview, I'm like, Kyle just told me that BOSU was just someone that beat him a lot at tournaments, and, and he didn't associate himself as being his boy. But but what about you? Uh, you mean, what do I think about Kyle being BOSU's boy? No, okay. no, 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 no. I, I don't <laughs> think, there, I found out there wasn't much truth in that. But what about you? Are you, are you BOSU's boy?
1: Uh, I don't know. Maybe. The man taught me a lot, and I've been playing Magic with that guy for, since I started 13 years ago. So. Uh, for better or worse, you can <laughs> check back on that. But uh, he's he's definitely one of the guys who I bounce ideas off the most and shit talk slightly more. But yeah, I don't know. I he begrudgingly I think was happy that I I got the dub in Edmonton last weekend. Uh, but he might tell you something different.
0: So o- over the past year or, or a few months, like I've heard your name more. Either like we've interacted more on Twitter. And and things like that. Correct me if I'm wrong, you also dabble in Pokemon a bit. So let our listeners know a bit more about you in in general.
1: Yeah, so I've been playing Magic for, like I said, like since Planner Chaos, so like 13 years now. Um, Most of it all competitively. I started playing Pokemon as a kid, started playing Yu Gi Oh!, played tournaments for that, switched to Magic, loved Magic. I've just, and was mostly a Moto Grinder for uh, all my university and a little bit after that um and then randomly one day picked up pokemon for on a lark with some friends for fun and then immediately qualified for the pro tour uh so we all just kind of joked that playing pokemon made me a good magic player um and then yeah i like picked it up as a second game qualified for pokemon worlds this year already which is like the equivalent of their pro tour so uh Bosu was giving me shit for uh, not being able to be good at two games, and then I I got a dub in Magic and was pretty happy about that.
0: <laughs> how are you how do you able to balance the time to be good at both games?
1: Uh, fake it. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I I just play card games, man. Like <laughs> it's, it's like I I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to do it if I didn't love card games, man. It's it's special.
0: Not to crap on like the the Pokemon players. Of course, Magic players will tend to think like Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon less skill intensive. Uh what's what's your take on that?
1: Oh, it's they I mean they fundamentally test very different skills, I think. There's a lot of things that Magic does extremely well that I wish other games would do. And I think like there are some spots that like other games do well uh that magic could learn from. So I think it's a good balance. Like for example, like live reads and technical play. I think are like way more uh like small minute plays are way more important in magic I think uh but something like clock management is way more important in Pokemon and like planning ahead is a little bit more important um so definitely just uh I think they test they select for different things um like I think Pokemon does local play like way better than magic does uh like I always go to Pokemon weeklies, even though there's no like no prizes. But I don't go to Paper Magic weeklies. I would just rather play on Moto.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm I'm always intrigued by by the different games. Um, let's just jump straight to to your win, back to your uh, Pioneer taking it down. Um, let us let us through. Uh, how did you decide on on your deck choice?
1: Yeah, so I played Blue Black Inverter. Um, I started wanting to play the deck when uh rob anderson messaged one of our group chats and was like hey guys i think this inverter deck's legit probably would have been what two three weeks now ago now because rob was p- preparing for the players Tour in phoenix and so i was like oh, okay that sounds like pretty interesting i need to choose a deck for face and i was like oh this is a blue black deck that's like a combo deck but i gotta play Thoughtseize and all like the sweet blue cards i want like Sign me up! Like I love Thoughtseize, like like I queued for abs uh, for the pro tour, playing absend with Thoughtseize and was Like I love me a Thoughtseize, so uh, this was just like super up my alley. So I just like picked it up, snap bought inverters uh, the moment I could, and uh, I like did very poor in my testing with it. I was like, this deck is super hard. Uh, I did a bunch of losing. I think. I only got in like I think ten, like ten or fifteen matches with the deck. And I like was very close to fifty-fifty. And I was like, oh god, this is gonna be a disaster, but uh hopefully it'll be be okay. And then uh I ended up I settled on a main deck that I believe is one card off the list Rob registered for the Pro Tour or for the players tour. I'm still gonna keep calling it that. Um I think he played uh, a third sensor, and I played a Narset Parter of main. man. Um, there are, and and then the sideboard I made was made based purely on feel for what I thought the local meta would be because we haven't had a Pioneer tournament of any reasonable size out in Alberta yet, so it was pretty much wild west. So uh, I obviously did not. I deliberately played fewer sideboard cards for things like breach because I didn't think people would be able to both acquire cards and get reps in with a deck like that when that deck like got super popular like two days before the event.
0: Hmm. So it, it turns out that testing, you you've, you did roughly 50-50, you said? And then you just yeah. crushed, crushed the tournament?
1: Yeah, I, I think I had... It was definitely, like, the play patterns with this deck are super unintuitive. I think, like, your first few games, you definitely don't know what you're doing, or that's how I felt, at least. Um, But learning them and learning, like, when can you jam inverter? uh, Like, how, how often are you going to be able to play inverter, not win the game immediately, and then, like, just kill them with an inverter? Or, and things like that, and... As I played, I just learned to jam Inverter more and more into whatever board and my win rate just went up the more I jammed Inverter. Um, uh, people don't have it, man. They never have it. In Pioneer, it feels like. I'm used to like Modern and Legacy where they always have it, but uh, it feels like people were not able to interact with this deck on the level that you probably should be able to do that and I was able to get a lot of wins that way.
0: So heading into the top eight, did you know you were the only inverter deck? Uh,
1: I didn't know I was the only inverter deck. I knew what a handful of people, I knew we had two copies of Spirits and I knew that I would have to, I was really sad when they announced top eight actually, uh, when they announced the seeding because uh, my one loss in the Swiss was to Terran Hancock who played mono white and I was fifth seed, he was fourth seed. So we I had to rematch him and I was pretty sad about that because I hadn't played the matchup before and I definitely lost in the Swiss. I felt like... I felt like the matchup was hard, and then I also felt like I navigated my post board games incorrectly, that had I had more experience with the matchup, I probably would have, like, perhaps, like, just, like, held off on Jamming Inverter. Like, that was the one matchup where I felt like Jamming Inverter was, like, pretty bad. They have a lot of cards that check that check that, and they apply a lot of pressure. So... I was pretty sad about that, and I was going to be on the draw against an aggro deck because um, I was fifth seat. But uh, luckily, sideboarded a bit different. Like I didn't bring in. Uh, after talking to some friends who played the deck as well, the Heliod deck, I didn't bring in Last Hope because I realized, oh, this doesn't actually kill anything. I was just like learning on the fly, um, and I was super happy that I had like multiple copies of Language, and stuff like that and that helped a lot and was able to was able to get there and then I just, just after that was just spirits uh for the rest of it. I didn't even know like there are some wild decks in this top eight and I just did not know until the list got posted. Like shout outs to Remy Rosmahell for bringing the spice, the
0: Rakdos deck. Yeah I'm seeing it some uh Yeah. Good old and, Bone Crusher Giant rekindling Phoenix.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, and I knew Kyle was in in top eight uh, with Sultai because we had ID'd in the last round. So, and I felt like pretty good about that that matchup. I beat it round one. It's I did bring Leyline of the Void that weekend, which was I think one of the more controversial choices I made. So, I felt pretty okay
0: in that matchup. Um, Elliot, do you want to comment on the uh, holding uh, on the Mono White? Uh, even though we're gonna get Brett on later, but uh, on, on how do you think that plays out? Uh, so in
2: our testing because that was the matchup we like played the most of in our testing house before the pro tour or players tour i guess i'm going to make the same mistake uh uh basically like towards the start of the week i think the matchup was better for mono white but as the players on inverter i guess got more familiar with inverter and also specifically that matchup it ended up being worse and worse for for us on the mono white side and but then i think when we actually came to the weekend you know brett might be able to confirm this later or not the average inverter player was way underprepared for what mono white was doing, like what our game plan was going to be. Um, in general though, I think jamming is pretty good because the only reasonable ways to interact, and I guess it depends on how mono white sort of develops. Cause I mean, one of the things I mentioned last week was that, uh, Brad and I were thinking about adding silence to the sideboard, which would be incredible in the terms where they just jam inverter, uh, but outside of that, the only card that really matters for them to play is Gideon of the Trials and make an emblem. And then if you've kind of maneuvered in a position where you have something like a Hero's Downfall in your hand and then you jam Inverter and then can go Downfall uh, Oracle to combo, then you're in a really good spot unless they have multiple Gideons. And it really seems that the the list that people are playing, like when you go on Goldfish, they're really not emphasizing the diversity of Gideon names. A lot of them have like three Gideon of the Trials and two. Gideon Allies a or something like that in the entire seventy five. And then maybe some people have Gideon's intervention. Yeah, and even that, th- at at that point they have to guess which of the two win cons you have in your hand. So unless you've like chump blocked with an Oracle and they know it's in your deck, it's not hundred percent to, to get it right.
1: Yeah, that was the card I was gonna bring up. Is is that that definitely threw me for a loop was Gideon's intervention. And yeah, exactly. Like if I like they can check my graveyard before I inverter. And if I just didn't happen to have it in my hand for whatever reason or i had a duplicate copy and then it was that like i had heroes downfall but yeah but being able to interact with an onboard gains or that named the right thing was pretty hard
2: yeah so it definitely like it's super context dependent you know obviously if you can if you can if you can jam with the downfall up i think generally you're supposed to do it because the only way the that the only way the mono white deck interacts with you is either like a killing you or b Gideon's Intervention sniping the right card and then see Gideon of the Trials, which presumably you have this downfall to cover in the scenario. Mm-hmm. So, um, And it's basically like a race where a lot of the games that I played, at least, when the games got to like turns eight plus and Mono White got to beat down, then it was like super good um, and Mono White was going to win. But also like, you know, you had more languishes, so maybe you're okay sitting on your heels and, and then eventually languishing them. I'm I'm really not sure when it when you add like that factor, but I think in the like the matchup is somewhere between like 40% and 55% for mono white, and I would I would guess it's somewhere closer to 45 as an actual number.
1: Sure, yeah, and it definitely sounds like you had a more extended version of what happened to me, or it was just like it felt like knowing the matchup was a pretty big part of the battle.
2: Yeah, I, and it also like our sideboard plan, like Brett and I, what we settled on boarding up to like nine Gideons, it, we, I found it super easy in the games we ended up playing to be actually on the beatdown and, and winning those games that I described where it gets late. And I could definitely see a lot of people with with a lot of the lists I see, they, they kind of seem like some heinous sideboard decisions in my mind, not playing as many Gideons. I think Gideons intervention just like kind of sucks. Uh, so I could see those people losing a lot of the games that tend to go longer. Um, so maybe it's just like the different plans have different pivotal turns and and you need to be jamming more against us and less against them.
1: Yeah, that all sounds very reasonable. Um, yeah, I definitely think people were on lower Gideon counts when I played against them. Uh, I mean, I can, we can look at terren's list to i've played against twice here yeah he has two extra gideon's post board and the gideon's interventions but then just the uh it's uh he had gideon of the trials somewhere here oh he only played one gideon of the trials post that's wild
2: yeah and then yeah, to contrast like that super low with like, to, to contrast that which would maybe some point be posted because I, I as a second call out second week in a row, KYT hasn't posted my listen sideboard guide yet. <laughs> Classic we, KYT. we went up to nine total Gideon's postboard. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. definitely a bit all more all in on the beatdown plan than than someone who has Gideon's intervention. For research. sure.
1: And then that makes the like a hedge plan of two X Heroes downfall just like that much worse because yeah, you, you, you don't you have to draw both now and like yeah. And even then, that might not be good enough. Yeah.
0: All right, <laughs> sorry about that, Elliot. <laughs> um, Zach, what's what's next for you in in terms of magic?
1: Um, uh, we got PTQs coming up in Alberta. Uh, it sounds like it's there's a bunch of limited ones, which I'm super excited about. And uh, we have the f- trios face to face in Red Deer, which I'm super excited about. Uh, i love team events and uh so i'm going to be playing legacy for that one uh so we will see if the card underworld breach is legal in legacy for that tournament and if it is i will probably put four copies of lion's eye diamond in my deck and we'll do that and if it's not legal then i'm perfectly happy to play a bunch of four souls and play some fair some fair honest blue cards
0: uh we stirred up some controversy when we announced the formats of the of the, uh, team trios, We disappointed some like fans of the show. Jen Kratz is like a, a standard lover. Uh, yeah. And, and Andy here, but how, how's the legacy scene in, in Alberta? Is it, is it like not that popular? Is it?
1: Un- uh, it's underrated? like, it, it's decently popular. Like, I think like, legacy like you see FNM fires every week, which is better than we can say about standard. And I, to be honest, can't tell you if we fire like how modern is doing, uh, just because I don't play at stores too much. But there's definitely a, a like dedicated group of legacy people and the people and people in Albert at least in my experience, like everyone's on reasonably good terms. And so like you can borrow legacy cards. Like people borrow legacy cards for tournaments all the time. So for sure, the uh, the rate limiting factor in how many teams we're going to get to shop is going to be how many people can find legacy players or legacy decks. But uh, I know I, I at least like I have legacy cards, so it's fine, but I am really excited to see who all comes out of the woodwork for that. Um, I can't say anything about Calgary's legacy scene. I know they have a couple, a uh, couple grizzled old vets uh, playing their duels, but I don't know like if, how, how big the actual scene is there. But we definitely have like, and we we also have a handful of people who just like play very casual Legacy. So it's hard to say will those guys like playing a tier two or tier two point five deck show up? Uh, since they're gonna be in demand, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I'm really excited for it though.
0: We're gonna gonna plug our uh, our F2F tour in Left Bridge. We're 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 doing well. Like uh, in terms of attendance, crushing it in Calgary, Edmonton, Red Deer, Left Bridge, Grand Prairie just like expanding um, just our reach and, and and getting more people to participate in in high quality magic tournaments in Alberta and hopefully hopefully get get to more even more cities uh, if, if that's even possible in in the province um, but, but Elliot, you you played uh, a finals a PTQ finals this weekend uh, how did it go I mean I, I had to ask you because like comes back to to Bosu who tweets like I imagine he did really poorly, because he tweeted out, "What do I even do now that I am bad at Magic: The Gathering?" So can't imagine he he did very well. I think even
2: if he did well, he's been coming to terms over time <laughs> with that. But he did. I think he did O two drop. I know that it, he wasn't he wasn't super happy with his pool, and I don't think he was too happy with his play either. So definitely a disappointing one for him. Um, it was so it was sealed with a draft top eight. Uh, my seal deck was like in between like a 6.5 and a seven, which I was really sad with at first. But then I kind of realized I only need to win like three rounds sequenced properly, and then I can draw into top eight. So uh, I did manage to do that. I had a like a mediumish black green deck that tried to stall the board and win with a wings, which is not like the best plan ever, but. It worked three times, so I, I'll take it. All of my creatures were really awkwardly sized. I don't think I had a, I had like one creature that had at least four toughness, uh, and it was just like really sketchy in general. I was not happy ever being in combat, but at the end of the day, I got there. Um, and then the top eight was really tragic. I drafted like a like a pretty good looking red black deck, and I, I tweeted out all my lists. So if if you're really interested, you can check them out there. Um, but like I had I had some good rares in it. I had multiple Woe Striders in my red black sacrifice deck. I had a storm's wrath. And I was like really happy with it. Uh just because I didn't see like outside of those cards, I didn't see any like really high quality cards going past me. Uh and then I just kept three landers game one and two against aggro deck and missed on lands and died very, very, very quickly. And uh won my Entry back in store credit, <laughs> which is like almost worse than no pricing at all. Because then you're, because everyone's like, oh, at least you got your entry back, but it's store credit, so it's just like way worse. know yeah, it's like real
1: life play points, man.
2: Yeah, it's so then. Uh, it was it was not not a very happy subway ride home, but uh, my buddy, maybe perhaps friend of the show, David Schneider, won it in the end, uh, so I was super sweet. Excited for him. Uh, he had a like. A really tragic close call in in GP New Jersey a couple weeks ago where he was I, I think 12 and O and then lost three times in a row to miss top eight and miss a queue so uh, super happy for him to, to actually get there after after that tragic weekend a couple weekends ago um, and I have you know spoiler for the end of the show I guess I have a standard WPNQ prelim at face-to-face games in Montreal on Saturday, which feeds for the final on Sunday, since I got one shot in it, and I'd really like to eventually win a PTQ again and get back to the players' tour. So I'm pulling out all the stops for that.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, Andy, um, I had asked you before the show, I, I thought you were killing it, because in the chat, I'm like, the legend is growing. We're building your name. We're getting some <laughs> respect in the house. How did your weekend go?
3: Uh, like uh, all in all, the PTQ went. I would like he, I say it went well. Like I didn't do as well as I want to, but only one person went to PTQ. So uh, I hadn't played modern in months. Like GP Montreal was the last time I played modern, and so I just like posted on Twitter and begged for Twitter to give me a deck to play. And uh, then I decided to at the best deck selector I know, Tangrams on Twitter, and t- begged him to pick me a deck. And he sent me a deck. He sent me like Bant Snow. And he's like, like this deck is really good, I think, but it looks really hard, so I'm not going to play it. But like, if you think you can play it, you should play it. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll play it. Lock it in. Rented it. Went to sleep. And uh, the deck is is pretty damn good. It's actually a very good deck, I think. There's like a couple things I would change about maybe the sideboard and maybe a couple cards in the main deck. But like overall, I was playing against lots of decks where I would just overpower them because my deck's just only two for ones i played against like the urza deck and i'm like oh i'm so far behind oh my god they peeled the urza from empty-handed and now i'm like in a weird spot and they have thopter or they have the sword not the the thopter foundry out and then i would just win the game like five turns later and then have four cards in my hand and i'm like okay this deck only two for ones so I was pretty impressed with its ability to like grind out the blue mirrors. And then I played against a couple Titan decks where both times I won with the cryptic lock where I just like tap your team, return the mystic sanctuary. And then I had like a play. So then I would brainstorm, get the thing back and then just do it over and over again. And eventually got a creature in play and then killed them over two turns. And the one person I basically decided that they couldn't win at all. And so I just did that forever. And then eventually killed them with like a one, one and then a different titan deck i killed by decking them with Ashioks and establishing the cryptic lock. So i think uh i think the deck's really powerful and uh it was like just recently sort of discovered some moto grinder, who i can't remember the name of. It's like uh doom switch or doom something. There's two dooms. One of them one of them i know is a good moto grinder. The other is like a name i recognize but i don't know how good they are. And uh he Posted that he went fifteen and zero with the deck, so it's like new. So I think the deck's going to keep getting iterated on and get better. And like Uros was awesome every time you draw it in the late game, it was incredible. And I think uh, the deck has a lot of legs. So going forward, if I was to play modern for fun, which I will not do, but if I had a tournament that mattered, which I also do not have, I would play uh, the the deck again. I liked it. <laughs>
0: Sounds good. Um Elliot, were you paying attention uh to Worlds this past weekend and does it affect your your deck choice?
2: Uh I watched a lot of it on mute. I was like doing other things so I didn't listen to the commentary, but uh like for sure. Uh going into this weekend I wasn't super familiar with standard at all and then seeing basically four lists between the competitors was like a I, I don't know, like a wake up call I guess, not quite uh but just like the fact that there was so sh- such little diversity when there was not that many people working together like you saw a couple like pairs of deck lists like i know a couple who worked together on mono red a couple people on on jess but the fact that there was so much uh like overlap between deck choices and then even card types within those archetypes like it's almost like standards is pretty solved right now which is uh maybe a bit unfortunate but I'm I'm like 95% to play Jeskai Fires and just play a list that's super close to what Marcio played. Um, with like a few changes in the sideboard because I'm not sure how much, uh, how many blue decks I guess are going to be in, in the prelims and in the PTQ. Um, but it's like definitely 100% for my decision. The fact that there was no no Saltai decks, no Uro decks other than the Team of Reclamation. None of like the Rakdos decks that we saw before. Uh no cat like yeah, no cat oven other than, than Piotr, who's like absolutely in love with Kathis or not Cethas, sorry, with um Corvold. So can you really count him? I'm not sure. Uh but it was definitely like a good learning experience and
0: great point of point of uh, data. PV took down the whole thing. I don't know. Like a lot of us, love to sports fans love to like rank and and I, I read some tweets like this now makes him the goat. So so I'll go to you, Andy. Does this change your rankings at all, or was he already the goat for you?
3: Does this change my rankings? Um, it it might it might like uh, make <laughs> him number one. It honestly might just like it's just constant dominance in in like whatever era he's ever played in. It's kind of messed up, right? Like he doesn't miss a beat. Just when he already had like a, a like a, a crazy good Hall of Fame career, he just continues. The one thing that's like holding me back is if you look at like the top eights and top sixteens. I think PB has like 14 top eights and 15 top sixteens. Finkel's at like 17 and 27. So like it's really hard to get past that for me for the for the goat talk. But at the moment, uh, my recency bias is really pulling me towards Paulo. Plus, he's so nice.
0: Nice <laughs> touch. Zach, do you have a take on this? Yeah,
3: I mean, I've always been
1: in John number one, kind of over two. And I think it's like super reasonable to have PV number two now, I think. Uh, maybe he's one. I certainly don't think you're extremely wrong if you have PV over John. Uh Whereas before, I think if you had Kai over John, you were extremely wrong. Um, yeah, uh, guy's a legend, man. He just won't stop.
2: And Elliot. I think the last time we had this discussion, I had Kai at number three and got absolutely <laughs> blasted <laughs> by like David Rude and some other people on, and and Derek also. Derek was a big Kai believer. Um but I I think it's actually safe to say that that PV is number one right now because not only did he just win worlds, but he has like two very recent PT top eights as well. And like, yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that both Kai and John have more or less moved on from magic. We see them come back for the occasional, we saw them come back for the occasional pro tour and, and Kai qualified for one of the mythic, uh, mythic championships that was online fairly recently. Um, But they're definitely not playing anywhere nearly as much as as PV is. But the other factor, which is more so swinging it for me towards PV being number one of all time, is, and and I'll I'll leave the name out of this, but an old school pro, let's say, that I I was preparing, that I was speaking to when we were in, in Phoenix, said, quote, the PTs I played back then were a joke. So I don't know how much you want to take like from that, how much you can value like John top aiding every pro tour back then and and Kai winning every pro tour back then, because they are quote, a joke. (laughs) So I I think the fact that that PV did it back then is a testament to his ability then. And the fact that he's doing it now in the, let's call it the information era of Magic the Gathering is just like even more so a testament to his skill uh, across such a long time. I mean, he's the money leader uh, going into this and now he's by far the money leader He won an absurd amount of money this weekend uh, so uh, he's number one in, in my eyes followed by John Kai maybe number four who knows
0: Andy do you feel this way like, like in basketball how it's like it can be hard to compare eras at some point where you're going it, from like
3: it's always hard to compare yeah. eras so like there's two schools of thought you can like th- say who is the actual best player or who is like X above era and both schools of thoughts are like correct, like the the one that comes to mind all the time is like for me is Wayne Gretzky is like his records are unbreakable. Do I think he's the best hockey player ever? no i like there's too many slappers from the blue line that went in every time. goalies weren't allowed to lie down, so like is he the best of all time? No, is he the best above like era maybe, and then with like Jordan and LeBron is like one of the big talks. And I think, like, as time goes on, in theory, like, players should just get better. Like, if Jordan had all the stuff and all the analytics and all, like, the billion or whatever, millions of dollars of, like, health stuff that LeBron does every year, maybe LeBron, Jordan would just be way better than LeBron. Because, like, LeBron has access to a lot of things that Jordan doesn't. But, like, like, at the same time, like, perhaps LeBron is better. But it's hard to tell. And that's like kind of what makes it fun, and what keeps people like us talking is because nobody can prove us right or wrong. It's just a lot of speculation, right
0: right, but it's got to feel good for p b to to be i guess unquestionably the best player of his era like of his this like decade
3: yeah he's he's yeah he's obviously he's incredible, he's just too smart, genius brain, also pretty kind, which is kind of makes it really easy to root for them, you know.
0: Okay, I had to touch on this with with Zach on. Obviously, we had uh, every, most people were were cheering for PV because PV is the nice guy, like you said, and he has a, a clean reputation. And of course, up against someone controversial in Marcio in the finals, and uh, you know, Ben Ben Stark didn't take it well that that people were harassing uh, Marcio about his past. He tweeted like, harassing people about their past isn't cool. Uh, to my knowledge, last year's accusation. About Marcio was Hornet Queen in, like, 2015. Keep your eyes open. Sure, speak the truth yet. But if you don't have new valid accusations to make, not letting someone move forward is wrong, which Tom Martell replied, that generally requires someone to acknowledge their wrongdoing and demonstrate both remorse and progress. And Zach tweeted, one year ago in Magic Community, Alex Bruncini, being in a tournament, even if he plays fair, places an undue onus on all his opponents to check him. Today's Magic Community... Being upset that Marcio is allowed to play in tournaments is harassment. So, just so it's giving this platform for you to <laughs> share more of your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so that's like obviously somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but I think I think the point I'm trying to make is pretty valid. Cause I think we had this like very serious discussion with Alex Burtoncini a year ago, uh, when he finally got Lifetime Banned about how like yeah, if you go up and you sit down against Alex Berncini or anyone who has like a history of cheating, uh, or a history of being shady or whatever, right? You are then having to devote uh ex you're you have to devote extra mental energy to like be watching them. Right. Obviously, worlds is on arena, like nothing there was obviously like nothing as far as I know that can go shady there, right? This is more about like how did we get here? But uh yeah, and so I think that's like an issue that's maybe not talked about uh, as much as it should be. It's uh, like obviously we don't have any like uh, recent accusations against Marcio, and I, for all I know, he has played clean, but it is like something to note that, like, you know, if I play, uh, if I sit down in a PT against Marcio versus if I sit down against someone else, I am going to play the game differently. Like, my mental state is going to do that and you know maybe there's nothing we can do about it but I think it, I think pointing that out is not super unreasonable and I mean obviously I like, don't actually harass Marcia like if people are like sliding into his DMs and telling him you're a bad person and whatnot like that's not cool but I think having the conversation about how do we handle this especially when as Tom Rettel pointed out it does not sound like he's like explicitly come on and said yes i did exactly this thing wrong it's bad and have been like working to like like i'm not gonna say right wrongs but something in that vein uh right like it, it definitely sounds like they're trying to play up the angle of like oh i was like a kid who did stupid shit and i mean like we all do stupid shit but it's yeah yeah, I think Tom Martell's take is pretty reasonable here. Um, yeah, just something that I think people don't necessarily talk about.
0: I don't know if the other guys have a take. Whereas I'll, uh, I'll try to bring yeah, yeah. Brett in at the same time. I I,
3: I got something. Go ahead. So so an, a thing. So I saw Marcio was defending himself on Twitter, and he pointed out. The, so the thing happened in 2014 with the Hornet Queen, and so like his like defense was like. So I have this like shady past, and do you think if they had any inkling that I did it on purpose that I, they would have banned me? Because they didn't ban him when that happened. He just got disqualified. And so, like, I don't know, from his point of view, it does make kind of sense. Like, If they thought at all that he did that intentionally, why wouldn't they ban him, especially with his past? So what he was saying is that he had been absolved of it, that they said that there was no guilt, and that's why he wasn't banned. But, uh, like, I, it's tough because, like, so in his article, he, he says, like, I did a lot of dumb things when I was younger. I wasn't my best person when I was younger. And, like, I put this on Twitter that, like, it would just make me feel so much better if they were just like, hey, I cheated when I was younger. I regretted a lot. And uh, I'm going to do my best to, like, repair myself in the community to, like, do more good than I've done bad. And... The problem is there's just no real incentive for a player to admit they cheated. Like making me and make a handful of other people feel better. Isn't like an actual thing, but the fact that there gets to be like a veil of doubt is like a real benefit to them. And unfortunately there's just no reason for Like if I'm in Marcio's shoes, there's just like no reason why I would say I cheated because it like only hurts me and I, I gain nothing. And like the people around me don't really gain that much. So like, i understand like he's in a tough spot i liked i actually did like the article and like even though it doesn't say hey i cheated like he he knows what he did he knows he certainly did shady things at the very least and everyone around like a lot of the pros are saying he's clean now and it's tough because you see like all the brazilian and like the latin american community say such good things about him how how much he's helped them be better players and help their community and like it reminds me of Saito where you're like, Oh wow, Saito's like helped his community so much. He like props up with this like really good store, runs great tournaments for people, helps everyone. But like he cheated at the same time. So you, you don't know how to feel about it. And I myself, if someone asks like, What would you do in this situation? I, I don't know. I would have to get someone who's more qualified to like make these kind of judgment calls because like my feelings get sorta of stuck in the middle sometimes because I want to feel for these like Latin American players who, like, at times will get, like, mistargeted, But I'm not saying Marcio is getting mistargeted. But they'll get, like, they won't get the benefit of the doubt that, like, the North American players get. And so, like, I wish uh, – yeah, I know I know he's not Latin, but he's, he, he tests with them and he's, like, part of their community in, in a sense. But um, I just feel – it just feels bad that it ever happened. And I don't know. If it was up to me, maybe he should have got banned longer the first time. He got banned. Maybe it's tough. Cheating sucks, and I wish less people would do it. But I don't think harassing Marcio is the way to do it. Also, Ben Stark says some of the absolute dumbest things I've ever seen on Twitter. <laughs> I respect the guy. A phenomenal magic player. He just spouts whatever he thinks, and sometimes he doesn't think about what he thinks. He just says it.
0: Uh, Elliot, any any finishing thoughts, or should I introduce Brett? Uh
2: well I guess I'll I'll just really quickly say that like Marcio's first Grand Prix top eight was in two thousand two and in that entire time he's had like four cheating allegations with on about him, which is, you know, four more than his ideal for sure. But the fact that he's been playing for so long, he was banned once for like peaking during a draft, which I think is like you know, like, yeah, it's obviously against the rules, yeah, it's obviously cheating, but at the same time it's like super you know, it's like very far removed, I think, from cheating in an actual game. Uh, and then three of the three of the other accusations that I, at least four that I know about, sorry. But the other three are, are all pretty similar. And two of them are he was accused of drawing off of his sideboard instead of like from his main deck, uh, which is very similar to the Hornet Queen issue that Andy mentioned from like 2014. Um, the other two were in 2010 at the same event. So take from that what you will. Uh, but he's only been banned once for the peaking thing. He wasn't banned for the Hornet Queen thing. And I, I, the big thing for me is that, you know, he's he's been back from the game after that DQ for so long, and he's, like, being close friends with a lot of pros. And I think usually when you have someone who's cheating is, like, when they cheat at the pro tour level, let's say, they're probably like for some reason not performing well in testing houses or when they're discussing with players their thoughts and ideas on the game, they're not at the same level as them. And I think that if that was the case, if all his success or some of his success was based on cheating, we wouldn't continue to see some of the best players in the world testing with him and talking to him and being friends with him and coming to his defense in this case. And whether or not he cheated then and whether or not he has continued to cheat, I think it says... More about the community that are doing things like spamming, uh, you know, cheaty face and spamming Hornet Queen uh, in the Twitch chat, basically harassing him if he ever goes back and sees the VODs or if his friends are watching and then harassing him on Twitter, accusing him of being a cheater every single time he's on camera. I, I think it says more about the people who are reacting to him like that than it does about him who, again, has had a clean slate for the past five years almost assuredly with the number of eyes that are watching him. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's fine to say, You know, he cheated in the past. I believe he cheated in the past. I'm not going to support him. But to turn that not supporting him into actively harassing him on social media is just like a huge step in the wrong direction and is uh, just egregious.
3: (laughs) There's still a person in there.
0: Uh, All right. I'm laughing. Sorry. I'm laughing at some of the Brett Steele tweets as uh, welcome back on the show friendly face of the show, um, just laughing at um, basically you <laughs> You tweeting, you might go to Jen tonight, last night, and then at Andy tweeting at you, rate the people in our B&B, <laughs> good vibes only, and you rated everyone a 5 out of 7. I'm excited to have you on because um, Elliot's been, been talking to you, talking to us about how you got him on White Heliad uh, for, for the players tour. So excited to know, like, how did it go for you from your perspective? How did that tournament? It? Uh,
4: I think only slightly disappointing. Like obviously I'm not happy to have not twoed, but I think I lost a few matches in pretty spectacular fashion to not get there. So I can't be too upset with my preparation. Um, I played White Heliod, it was the worst performing deck at the Pro Tour, and I think that's a little bit of preparing maybe too much online and not in a house with stronger players, because what ended up happening is there was, Pioneer was moving so fast that people were in this like, the like midrange had just taken up the, uh, midrange had just taken over maybe the week or two prior, and Mono White was fantastic in that meta game. And it just so happened that the next week it was about um, all of the combo decks coming out. And, uh, you know, Elliot's mentioning, sorry, in our chats here, like that it was the highest win rate uh, deck in some of these PTQs later on. And I think that there's a bit of like a play skill thing there behind uh, where I think the stronger the inverter players are, the stronger the breach players are, the better they can play through the hate that Mono White's playing. So you do get a lot of percentage where if people aren't familiar with the matchups or don't play it well you you gain a ton but uh I ended up basically playing a deck that I think was a little bit less than a coin flip against the most popular decks in the room, and that ended up hurting
0: um Elliot mentioned that like you i guess you were streaming the deck a lot, he had mentioned that you were very unlikely to switch off the deck at some point
4: i I think that like i I went something like. 30 and five in my 35 matches prior to actually flying down to Phoenix. And I was just like on top of the world. I had like four consecutive trophies. It was just unstoppable. And I felt that there's at that point it fit my personal style of play. And I was just going to choose to not stress about it, pick up the cards, go to Phoenix and then not worry too much about shifting my constructed deck. Rather than just kind of relax in the week beforehand, maybe do some drafts and like prepare mostly for limited, which I think ended up being really helpful uh, for me because I ended up going 2-1 in draft and I was like very happy with my draft deck. There was like just, it was to me that I felt that there was just going to be diminishing returns from bringing three or four decks and sort of trying to panic and switch between them in a format that I felt was... Like there was a sort of an established set of maybe six to, set, six to seven decks you could probably expect to see played at the Pro Tour. And so I just would rather have more matchup experience with my deck across that field than, than kind of uh, make a last-minute decision on what deck I thought was best.
0: Okay, fair. fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what now, uh, the Brett Steele, in terms of your competitive Magic career?
4: Well, I, I I have to coax some people into driving me to Calgary or drive to Calgary myself. We have a, a sealed PTQ down there in a couple weeks, which I'm actually kind of excited for. I, I've really enjoyed this Theros Limited format. Um, so I've actually convinced myself to just go for it. And then I've got the face-to-face games um, Calgary Open Plus as our next PTQ. So I've started to play a little bit of modern again. And I I mean, I had kind of not played anything but pioneer for a few months. So I hadn't got to enjoy the, uh, this ox of Agonas card. I'm sorry. I think he's focusing, but I haven't haven't had a chance to enjoy super faithless looting. Go grave troll the card. So I, I just, I suspect I'm going to walk in, play a Dredge. You know, maybe I see one and rest in peace. Win another tournament, and leave. Like that's the plan. <laughs> hey,
0: he's he's done really well at these, Zach. So I don't know if you're going to be there to stop him.
4: I oh, Zach, Zach, I I left for one weekend and yeah. they let him win. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Brett was very upset. <laughs> I wasn't there to defend the title, and this is where we're at. Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. It's fine.
0: Um it's been I think I mean I've seen you like chiming in, in 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 this like should I keep this dredge hand chat that that uh tweet that a lot of people have replied to.
4: I I I think most people in that that responded that are insane. Man, I saw that Brett and Sodak were the only two people that said keep and I was like I was like okay. That's literally the four card hand I'm mulligating for. Like like it's like you the people you're talking about these like all these three dead cards in your hand that suck right and that you could you mulligan so that you don't have these dead cards in your hand but in reality like the four good cards in that hand that's the hand i'm mulliganing to four to get like i just want like a turn one play like a shriekorn, hopefully if i'm lucky another play like for your turn two or three that's your like your cathartic reunion or your uh in that case merchant of the veil and two lands like i'm in that that's all i want has has three dead cards in hand, doesn't matter. They they're they're completely irrelevant.
0: Uh, just to catch up to listeners, so it's like Ken Crocker uh, at ideally dumb who tweets Modern Dredge on a play against Unknown Opponent, Keeper Mall, Narcamiba, Creeping Chill, Prize Amalgam, Shriek horn, Merchant, Blood, stainmire and Wooded Foothills are the six cards. And uh, you're right, like most most people are uh, super super easy mulligan. Uh, some people are saying, or um, most of the people, like, there are more keeps. Um, so that says easy keep, though, out of all of this list and, and a lot of mall snap mall Interesting that, that mulligan is still like a, uh, it's very interesting what hands, like, some players will keep it, and some won't.
4: There is, like, the one concern is genuinely that I don't like Merchant of the Veil, and I'm considering whether or not I try to test some of the blue versions with uh, Tome Scour again, just because that hand, if you don't hit a Dredger in your top six, seven-ish, then that hand is pretty cold. But that's just, like, the, the price of doing business with Merchant of the Veil. And, I mean, that's also just, like, what you get for playing dredge but the difference between a hand that has a turn one tree corn and a hand that just has like anything else is so gigantic that i like i just don't know what hands people think are broken that they they're super excited to keep over that
3: Hmm. um Uh, i just love the like snap mulligan snap keep easy mulligan easy keep i'm like there like some people got to be wrong here
4: <laughs> i i i am i would be on the like i don't even think it's an easy keep i think sodex stretching it like you the you do kind of wish the merchant of the veil was a slightly more powerful card but i don't i i don't can't imagine like I, if i'm picking up that seven i'm not mulliganing like ever especially on the
3: play in the so i don't play a lot of dredge but in like the first strike uh, group chat i was like you see i would see that opening hand go yeah keep and i would not even consider mulliganing it but like i don't know like it's not insane i just don't think i would consider mulliganing it
4: i i think i'm in a similar boat because so for the people that are like screaming snap mulligan the only thing that really makes sense to me is these people are super excited about cathartic reunion plus dredgers which is like kind of reasonable but it's so soft to Thoughtseize decks like you almost need extra to, to go with it and although it can be more powerful against the not Thoughtseize these decks i'm not giving up a hand that's like i don't know probably an eight on your your scale to try to get the nine like i'm probably keeping sevens and up
0: That makes sense. Uh Brett, when we when we last, man, how many times have we had you on? Is this second or third time? I think this is third. Okay, we we I keep uh I'm intrigued by our discussions of, of prep and, and stuff like that. So um what is there anything gonna change that things work really well for you uh for this player's tour that you would do differently for the future?
4: Uh the big like so if I was to take my takeaways is like, I was very happy with my draft prep. Like I felt like in previous pro tours, I had not prepared well for draft and it showed and I I felt it versus this pro tour. I felt like I was much more comfortable in draft. And I did, I got some of that by watching more people play versus just playing games myself. I'm trying to remember which pro went over it, where they said a lot of their testing at this point is now just like, Watching players that they think are pretty strong at like 2x speed on Twitch. Like they're watching VODs to just try to like skim through games and try to see if they can identify patterns that they really like. I know people kind of keyed me into the ham TV as like a consistent draft grinder. Uh, I watched a few other people drafting, but that, that was the majority of it. And what that ended up leading to, at least myself, was uh them talking about how to draft red white and how what they felt was powerful in the deck and i ended up with what i felt was a very insane red white deck that you know i rolled over a few of my opponents and i don't think i would have come to those conclusions if i had just drafted matches by myself playing kind of in the dark
0: No, we keep hyping this hand tv guy (laughs)
4: <laughs> every episode it, well the problem is actually i think that you guys hyped him which got me into watching it when it's just a perpetuating cycle like <laughs> I'm, I'm a sheep in this scenario but i just i just sound like i'm leading um just gotta speak with confidence
0: i mean it's good it's good to be able to identify like specific uh content creators uh out there um and give them the love uh, that they deserve, especially when they're not necessarily highlighted by, uh, by Watsy or, or, just the general playing public. Because some 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 people, some content creators that we love are, are very competitive focused, provide a lot of value to your competitive game, but might not be as popular. I like I hear a lot of people love like stuff like Lords of Limited all the time from from you guys are listeners or everyone else. And, and it's it's not like they're as huge as some of the, the bigger shows. In fact, like I think Watsi did a survey. I saw Brian Gottlieb, <laughs> old friend, who tweeted out like the survey Watsi was giving out. And like the question was like, what content creators, including podcasts you listen to? And like Arena Deckcast was not even, like there were no podcasts on that list. So sometimes it can be difficult to, get on the radar of, of certain people. And um, like, for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to know about the ham TV without like Elliot, Andy, and, and, and John mentioning it at all. Um, Brett, what's your streaming plan? Like they, they had mentioned this like creators program or are, are you interested in that? Did you apply?
4: I, I haven't applied. I, I was in and out and I, I should actually get to doing a little bit more consistently again. I'm just honestly trying to work a little bit more and, and, like just take care of real life stuff right now in terms of, of like that streaming or the time I would have to dedicate to make that work. But I, I, I could imagine myself streaming daytimes again. I, I streamed a lot of the constructed prep I was doing and a lot of just my general prep pre pro tour. And that was fairly fun and sort of got me, uh, kept me just Focused, I guess, like kept my own preparation pretty consistent, which was another thing I, I was pretty happy with. And that's sort of why I, I set part of why I settled on mono white is I, I just kind of forced myself to play it consistently day after day. And like, after I'd saw, seen some initial success, I just kind of ran with it. Um, So no concrete plans. Watch my Twitter at most. I, uh, <laughs> I'm not not committing myself to anything right now.
0: <laughs> All right. That's good. Uh, someone... Hmm. I don't know. Someone wanted us to mention Kethys because it's their favorite deck in Pioneer. I, I don't know if, if any of you want to comment on it. I I randomly
4: <laughs> know about this. <laughs> I think. Um, the Kethys deck, I, I've i run into it. I can, I can imagine that deck actually being quite good. There's like a... Kethis to Char Heliod combo mess that ends up like pl- pl- looking and playing out probably much more powerful than you'd expect. I think it's quite it's borderline unbeatable for the mid-range decks of the format. Uh, but it it struggles, I think, a little bit against the other combo decks just from a sport, sort of a speed perspective. But also it has a difficult time playing, I think, the same hate that other people can play because you know, you can't play Rest in Peace because you're a graveyard deck. I think you could play Deafening Silence because I don't think you necessarily need to cast non-creature spells, but uh, that's what seemed to be the issue when I was sitting across from it and part of why I didn't pick it up myself.
0: Hmm. All right. Elliot, Elliot was nodding. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I agree with Brett. I think the biggest issue it's going to face is that it's... Uh way worse at playing against hate than the breach deck does and it's just going to get splash damaged by all the same cards that hit breach. Uh but this is like definitely somewhere where you can pivot towards if you're a dedicated combo player if bans do happen in the format because as as Brett mentioned, you know, it is one of those decks that's going to have inevitability to combo off in the late game like you you can start from pretty much just a Kethis or a Lazav based on how your graveyard's set up, so that's something that's like you know very powerful and, and shouldn't be underrated if
0: if people start playing fewer copies of things like Damning fear rest in peace all right zach zach and brett thank you so much for coming on the show we're going to end up with this topic sorry andy i'm going to have to include ben stark again a ben stark tweet um uh, meddling mage chris Pacula tweeted say what you want about arena versus paper magic but seeing every detail of how the best players in the world play is amazing Uh, To which Ben Stark replies, I've been saying this for a while. We should never lose Paper Magic. FNM and pre-releases are awesome and the social aspects can be very positive. But for high-level tournaments, we should be doing as much as we can on Arena. And speaking of the F2F Tour and the Tour Finals, um, which is basically the Open and the Open Plus, just rebranded a bit differently, um, You know, a a friend of mine mentioned this, that that does make me concerned a bit about competitive Paper Magic. As it seems like WotC is more willing to give stores, or I guess um, stores and tournament organizers, things that eventually don't matter anymore. So what I'm trying to say is that for Planeswalker points, at some point we could announce that we were giving five X, to which they no longer matter, and now they're they're giving more stores and more different places possibilities to run these tour finals that lead to the PTQ. And I am I wonder if like. Eventually, they're just going to can that, so I don't know if you guys have have any takes on on arena versus paper in in the future
3: so- uh, I've said this every single time they run like a major arena tournament. The viewing experience is like so much better it's it's like mind blowing seeing the fact my favorite part personally is the the fact that the players will like show their emotion. And, like, you can see them, like, oh, God, I didn't draw the land. Or, like, oh, my God, what do I do? And, like, when they're sitting at the table, they just, like, sit there and try and look cool. <laughs> and it's it's so much better to watch an arena tournament. It just is. It's so much better. And, like, seeing everyone's hands means that they don't have to, like, speculate, be like, well, I saw a little dinosaur in that hand. It could be Carnage Charin, or it could be uh, something else. And so they don't have to speculate about that kind of stuff, which leads to, like, The commentators just spouting off like random gibberish, essentially, trying to say anything to fill the time of what they don't know. But with the arena, it sort of fixes that problem. I like paper magic, like big playing, big paper magic tournaments. But as like on the biggest stage, I think they should just keep pumping out arena. It's way more fun to watch.
0: Yeah. So that's, I, I think, I think they might like phase it out completely, like paper at some point. Like never, <laughs> never. competitive, I mean, not like... Uh,
3: I don't think they'll ever do it.
0: All right. Uh, every time
2: I wake up and I have like a big moto tournament to play, even if it's like, even if it's just like a challenge on a weekend or something, I'm so thankful that I don't have to put on pants and I can just play the <laughs> tournament super casually and relaxed. But at the end of the day, at least for me, and I think this is true for a lot of players also, is that they really do value the social aspect of the game. And as much fun as I have, you know, sitting on Discord and Google Hangouts talking to friends while playing magic, it's not quite the same as the gathering you get when you go to a a magic tournament. You got to go, you know, go out for dinner or catch up maybe over some drinks with people you don't see very often. So I think that, you know, at least for me, paper magic and paper competitive magic will always have a place, and I I hope they continue to support it in some way. Uh, Like obviously we have buys disappearing at the end of May, but you know, that's Supposedly linked to a change in the Grand Prix tournament structure, so I we don't have any details for what that could be, but maybe planeswalker points do matter in some other ways. Um, But (laughs) like, definitely as it stands, you know, it went from almost every store in the world could run a PPTQ to now only a select number get to run WPNQs, and even fewer get to run actual actual PTQs. Uh, so it does feel like there's being some taken away from stores, at the competitive level. But at the same time, you know, it really seems like not every every store is firing WPNQ prelims and such at the levels that they would normally want. And does that mean that if twice the met as many stores are running WPNQ prelims, they would all be uh, all be firing to that level? I I don't think so. I I know for example, Andy's been complaining a lot. Maybe, perhaps, rightfully that there's no WPNQs for him to play in Kingston, except every PT every PPTQ I ever played when I lived in Kingston was like less than 32 players with people traveling to it. So by the end of a WPNQ qualifier, is the fourth qualifier going to have like four people show up to it? It kind of sucks for the mid mid sized cities that the structure that Watsi went with doesn't support them. Uh, But you know, maybe move to a real city and stop being a baby. Oh, wow.
0: Wow. Um.
1: (laughs) Well, well. Didn't you guys just have a nine-man
2: preliminary the other day? Yeah, I won a nine-man preliminary with BOSU. two ago. Yeah, just, yeah I just
3: want to make yeah. sure that. Yeah, Elliot's but got three TQs and he's not a, even qualifying.
2: That's because it was at a store that uh, competes against Face to Game Face to Face Montreal location, which is by far the best LGS I've ever been to.
3: Yeah, it's not much of a competition for the record. Face to Face But uh, yeah. So like, it it just. It makes me so freaking mad that they, like, gave me PTQs back and then just immediately just, like, here's worse PPTQs, CNL.
0: and <laughs> um, I'm just thinking about, like, when when we had just completed ads for 5X Walker points and then the, the, the same day they're like, nope, doesn't matter anymore. And uh, we wonder, like, when marketing these F2F tour events that – like the final seed a seat to the players tour regional if like even even we wonder if even marketing to the competitive players like even matters actually um i don't know like like i don't know if zach and or brett can
4: speak to that it's just like i uh so i i if i want to be like real cold on this one i think paper magic is like on the, the big decline to death for sure. I think that if you look locally for us, what we're experiencing there's this huge surge in Commander. Face, like, um, Watsi is now replacing some number of GPS with Command Fests. Watsi is starting to pump out Commander products like quarterly, as opposed to like almost biannually. We're like I think that there's a big shift on their end towards that, the more casual side of the game, and that also that is somewhat reflected in attendance, we see at least around our city. I don't think there's a single store in our city that has fired a standard event in almost four or five, six months. Like that that doesn't happen. We can't get eight people in a room to play standard. Even modern, which has been a stalwart for our scene locally, has started to have seriously declining attendance numbers. Um, With Arena being a much more enjoyable viewing experience, and then on top of that, this new mission, as discussed, to bring Pioneer to Arena, I think Arena is going to take over as the premier competitive place to play Magic because that's sort of what they're doing. I think that there's already a big decline in new players joining Modern because they've been priced out. And so I expect Pioneer to be the next sort of big thing to take off. So having this product, you know, arena that that does standard Pioneer and really pushing players toward that just makes sense. Then beyond that, I mean, we're talking about this new WPNQ system. So again, like locally for us, like if I was to just rewind PBTQs, we were regularly hitting 30 to even 60 players for a PBTQ week in, week out constantly and we would have maybe 10 a season something like that right now we're looking at I think two WPNQs a season what what appears to be and we had a grand total of 24 unique players rather than 24 people every week right like we aren't like it just if I was to just go purely by the numbers purely about what I'm experiencing I see that and then Outside of the numbers, like the last three, four months of announcements have been exhausting for me. Like it's a new change every week. There's no consistency. I don't know what I'm playing for. I don't know what to care about, what not to care about anymore. And I'm not really a person that's going to be flying to GPs consistently. So I don't really, like, I think Paper Magic is on a huge decline. Like I definitely feel my personal motivation is, is, slowly seeping away and i i can't imagine if things are on this track that paper magic stays around for more than a few years like i i don't know where how paper magic competitive magic survives i if we see the announcement for next year and another five gps are turned into command fests like build a commander deck where two gps are done competitive magic is over (laughs) like
0: yeah it's like I'm, i'm just thinking if even for for some of the upcoming f2f Tours, like let's say, in the next year or the next couple of years, if Commander or some of these casual formats should be a stronger f- uh, focus, because that's what uh, still brings people to come. That's what still gets people excited about on paper. Uh, Zach, I don't. Do you have a take on all of this?
1: Yeah. Uh, if you were talking about market marketing the face to face events with the Pro Tour changes and whatnot, and I just found it really funny how our head judge for the Edmonton face to face open made a post in a local facebook group a day before the event saying if you win this tournament you get a player's tour invite even he didn't realize that wasn't the case and he was head judging the event and like so like involved dedicated people don't know what's going on uh, and that's not good um side note if anyone wants to give me a pt invite for false advertising you know, hit me up um i uh just to hit on the earlier remark about the world's viewing experience i'm gonna be mega contrarian here, and I almost always watch every pro tour and every world's like pretty religiously when i can uh I love watching those events uh and i the only footage of worlds I caught was when I went to the world's viewing party to collect my crucible <laughs> uh which I did and played some standard um, with cards from my binder. And, but other than that, I did not watch a minute of it. I have actual negative interest in watching arena tournaments. Um, it's like definitely my inner grumpy old man. So I'm willing to believe that the children are right and I am wrong, but uh, I, like, for example, I love watching the mocks. Like, that's probably my favorite tournament to watch. But I just, like, don't like watching the arena UI. I can't watch arena streamers either. But I understand I'm in the minority of that. And I hope competitive magic doesn't die in paper. Life is pain.
0: <laughs> All right. Got a lot, of, a lot of good takes, a lot of different takes on this topic. I mean, it's it's always... It's... It's always can be a surprising time, like when when Elliot and I were shocked, uh, mobile coming in 2020. So who knows? Who knows what's on the horizon? Uh, Starting with you, Zach, any shout-outs or anything you want to plug? Go ahead.
2: Uh,
1: No, just thanks for having me on, KMIT. If you want to follow me, I'm at Zenterchan on Twitter. Uh, If you want hot takes on both Magic and Pokemon and other things, uh, follow me there, and we will see you all at some of the next face-to-face events.
0: Sweet. And what about you, brett Steele?
4: <laughs> uh at B S T E on Twitter, beastie That's my first and last name smashed together. Unfortunately, it is unpronounceable and unspell it unspellable, but I've just committed to it now. Uh you can find out about my hijinks both in life and in magic there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh Elliot. Last words. Uh I don't know, last
2: words? That's so much pressure. I hope I qualify for the Pro Tour this weekend, the player's tour. There we go. It's
0: going to awesome. happen. It's Money gonna be... back guarantee. It's going to be more than nine people, but uh, I think you can get there. Uh, <laughs> Andy, Andy, anything else?
3: Well, I guess it's just a preemptive you're welcome for Elliot, because I'm going to ship him the Sky Fires list that qualifies <laughs> him for the WPNQ Finals, qualifies him for the Pro Tour, and then he'll never shut up about it. And I'm going to sit here and play Magic the Gathering online because that's all I'm allowed to do in this godforsaken land of Kingston.
0: <laughs> it's, are, what, it's what you get for killing my my NFL career. Are you going to grind Just Guy Fires on an arena? Tune to list Elliott?
3: Uh, I'll play zero games, but I'll use my big brain.
0: I love it. Well, you have a lot of experience with the Just Sky Fires architect.
3: Yeah, I did qualify for the Players Tour with it, <laughs> and I got Isaac to the singer with it, whatever that thing's called. <laughs> the,
0: uh, the, mythic- the
3: arena mythic splash fest. I don't know what it's called.
0: <laughs> All right. Um, thanks, Zach, Brett again, for Elliot, Andy, and I, and, and, and John, who apparently may be replaced as the, uh, as the Neo Brand expert on Twitter. Uh, we will see you next week, hopefully with John to get his his updates. Ciao, guys.